This is not the end. This is where it begins. That one statement is a brilliant summary of the Easter message. Right in the middle of the story of scripture, we find these events that secure and guarantee the end of the story of scripture. And that's where we're going to begin our journey today. We're going to start at the end. So if you want to turn to Revelation 21, these are some of the closing words of scripture. The context is the Apostle John's having a vision of God returning to make his home with humanity. Heaven and earth, God's home and our home become one. They're reconciled. God and humanity are reconciled. They become one. Everything's restored to how it was meant to be in the beginning. And John begins to scribble down the vision. In verse three, he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, that's God, said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, get this down, John, because this vision, it's a foundation you can build your life upon. Now, if you've been at KXE for any length of time, there's a good chance you've heard me teach from this passage before. In fact, our vision statement to serve God's purpose to make all things new is lifted from this passage. So in the Greek language that the New Testament is written in, you've got two words for new. You've got neos, which means brand new, and you've got kainos, which is something old that's made new and restored to its former glory. So in this passage, God says, behold, I'm making all things And the word kainos is used. I'm restoring everything to how it was in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, where there was no sin, no sickness, no suffering, humanity fully alive in relationship with God, in relationship with one another and in relationship with all of created order. The ending to the narrative of scripture is this phenomenal vision of restoration and renewal. Now, some of you will be thinking, great, that sounds like a fantastic ending to the story. What's that got to do with Easter? Well, the events of the first Easter secure and guarantee the end of the story. So let's turn to the events of the first Easter. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 20. This is John's account of the first resurrection appearance to Mary. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Skip forward to verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. So this first resurrection appearance, the context is she's shrouded in darkness. She's in this garden that's essentially a graveyard. There is death, there is grief, there is crying and there is pain. Now we know the end of the story. There will be no more death, grief, crying or pain. And yet in this garden, in this graveyard, there is death. And there is grief and there's a huge amount of weeping and there's a huge amount of pain. And then Jesus steps onto the scene. You see the news of the resurrection that Jesus isn't dead. He is alive and his resurrection guarantees our resurrection and his resurrection guarantees the end of the story. That news transforms how we grieve. 
I don't know if you've experienced this, the, the jarring nature of the followers of Jesus celebrating the resurrection Easter Sunday, and yet we're celebrating at a time of national grief and mourning. A little bit of Google searching. This is the first time in our nation in over 800 years that the followers of Jesus haven't been able to gather in their churches to celebrate Easter Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection at a time where the death toll connected to the COVID-19 virus is reaching its peak. There is death right now. We are surrounded by grief. There is weeping. There's a huge amount of pain. And it feels like there's a tension between celebrating new life and recognizing this is a moment of national and global grief. How does the resurrection, the news that Jesus is alive, transform our grief? I believe there's three insights in this account in John chapter 20 that I want to look upon. The first thing is we as the followers of Jesus, we grieve with hope. Thomas Merton, Catholic writer, once said an individual's life is shaped by the end they live for. When you know the end of the story, that God and humanity, heaven and earth will be reconciled, there'll be no more death, grief, crying or pain. That transforms the here and now. We still grieve. It still hurts. And sometimes it hurts like hell. But in the middle of that hellish experience, there is deep hope. When Paul teaches the church in Thessalonians, he says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Yes, we grieve, but we grieve differently to how the world grieves. We grieve with this deep sense of hope that this isn't the end of our story. Death isn't the end of the story because the resurrection guarantees that there's a better end of the story. Jesus is alive. And the fact that he's alive means that we will be raised. And this end of the story from Revelation 21, it has been guaranteed through these events of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We grieve with a deep sense of hope. Mary is in the garden. As I said, darkness, death, grief, crying, pain, and then hope enters the garden in the person of Jesus. In the middle of our grief right now, many people will wake up Easter Sunday. They will be weeping. They've lost loved ones. But hope is available when you say yes to the person of Jesus. Hope enters your situation. Hope enters your life. And still there will be pain. There will be suffering. But the presence of God will be with you. So number one, we grieve with hope. Number two. We grieve in the context of an embrace. Listen to how the story continues. So Mary encounters these two angels. The angel asks, angels ask her, women, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She's so overwhelmed by her grief. She just presumes this guy in the garden's the gardener. Doesn't recognize it as Jesus. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In other words, that's the moment she gets it. Oh my goodness, you're not the gardener, you're Jesus. And at that moment, she throws her arms around Jesus and you have this incredible embrace. In fact, in verse 17, Jesus says like, you know, Mary, you've got to let go. There's other people I need to appear to. 
But in that moment, in the middle of her grief, she experiences an embrace. She holds on to Jesus, but more specifically, she's held on to by Jesus. We can be held in our grief. Two years ago, my father-in-law tragically died, age 65. He died suddenly of heart failure. He was on holiday in Wales. He went for a walk to have his quiet time and was later found dead by a farmer. I'll never forget the phone call I received from my wife. She'd been away for a couple of days with a friend and I get the phone call and all I can hear is be hysterically crying. I can't make sense of what she's saying. And I say, be like, I, I can't understand what's happened, what's happened. And then I hear the words, my dad is dead. And like that, we enter this moment of deep grief. And the last two years have been processing that grief because grief takes time. Within a couple of weeks of that moment of suddenly plummeting into grief, we were given a gift. And the gift was a drawing of B experiencing the embrace of her father. B's dad, Nick, was the most incredible hugger. He was known for the, the amazing embraces that he gave his family and his friends. And you can see the picture behind me of Nick embracing B. You know, in the last two years, there hasn't been a day where B hasn't just longed to experience one more embrace, one more moment held by her father. And yet every day longing for that experience, what has enabled B, but us as a family to journey with our grief? And the answer is whilst longing for the experience of an embrace from the earthly father, we've experienced the embrace of the heavenly father and the embrace of God changes everything the love of God transforms everything so yes we've been grieving we've been grieving with a deep sense of hope believing that we will be reconciled to Nick we will be reunited there will be more embraces to come but whilst longing for the embrace of the earthly father we've been experiencing the embrace of the heavenly father and it changes everything in this garden surrounded by darkness in the midst of grief Mary experiences the embrace of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So she grieves in the embrace of God. Like knowing that Jesus is not dead, he is alive. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. His resurrection guarantees the end of the story. It means, yes, we grieve with hope, but it also means we grieve in the presence of God, experiencing the embrace of God, experiencing the love of God, and the love of God transforms everything. So we grieve with hope. We grieve in the context of an embrace. And finally, in the midst of our grief, we are called by name. Listen to the moment where Mary wakes up and realises this is actually Jesus. This isn't the gardener. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And it's as he calls her by name, she recognises it. It's you. You're stepping into this moment where I feel overwhelmed by death, grief, crying and pain. And you are calling me by name. You, you might be thinking, like, where are the other disciples? Like, why, why are they not present? The other disciples are in a locked room. They're in isolation. They're freaking out, thinking that the Jewish authorities will be coming after them. So they're in isolation, terrified, like in a lockdown moment. 
So any of this sound familiar? So there's death, there's grief, there's crying, there's pain, and then there's a lockdown moment. And yet Jesus begins to call each one by name, Mary. And after this encounter with Mary, he's going to find the other disciples and he's going to call them by name, Peter, John, Thomas. I know you got some doubts. Touch my hands, touch my side like it is me. It's the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you might be watching this um, curious about Jesus and the church. Like maybe you're the equivalent of sneaking into the back door of a church and sitting on the back row just to observe. Like you've done the equivalent, which is you've logged on. Is anyone watching? No, I'm safe. I'm just intrigued. I'm just going to watch. What are they actually celebrating at Easter? And you're thinking like, where is God in the midst of this pandemic? Like where is God when we are suffering, when we are grieving, surrounded by death? Where is God right now? And the answer is he's in the garden with you he's in this room with you I mean Jesus actually steps into the lockdown with the disciples to reveal himself and he wants to do that to you he wants to enter isolation with you and reveal himself to you he wants to call you by name because that's how relationships begin when you begin to call each other by name there's a beautiful verse Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 where Jesus says I stand at the door and knock If you open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. The Christian message and the Easter message isn't an escapist message. Like if you believe X, Y, Z, if you do X, Y, Z, you can escape the pain and suffering and everything will be great. No, no, the Christian message and the Easter message, if you open the door, Jesus will come into your room. He'll come into this moment of death, of grief and crying and pain. And what will he do? He'll transform your grief. Because suddenly you realise you can grieve with hope. You can grieve in the context of an embrace. You can grieve knowing that you are known by name by your creator. And all of that transforms how you grieve. It changes everything. Relationship with God changes everything. He's standing at the door of your heart. He's standing at this moment of isolation. So like, open the door. It's not a guarantee that I'm going to pull you out immediately and everything's going to be great. No, I'm going to enter into the room. And I will transform this place of death and I'll make it a place of life. I'll transform this moment of grief and I'll bring beauty from it because that's that's who I am. I'm a saviour. I'm a redeemer. That's what this whole story is moving towards the restoration, the renewal of all things. So this is a bizarre day on which to celebrate resurrection life surrounded by death and a nation in mourning. But that's the whole point. That's the whole message of Easter. Easter transforms how we grieve. Easter transforms how we live. So we party in the midst of our pain. We celebrate not just because of what is to come, but because what is to come has broken in upon us that first resurrection. Jesus is alive and he's in the room with us so we can know hope we can experience and embrace and he calls us by name and invites us into deeper relationship